I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. So as a tune-up today, I introduced a little, a few tips and pointers from the lineage from the fifth Dalai Lama about the lightning-like upper gaze, to break up mental formations and fixations and holding patterns, to crack the ice on the free-flowing water of innate awareness, not getting frozen into any position or temporary state of mind, and flicking the eyes right and left with the laughter of the Dakas and Dakinis, ha ha hi hi ha ha yi ha yi, from the Rushen or Settle Discernment teachings of Dzogchen, how to break up our thought patterns and solidity of concepts and rest more in awareness, aware of what arises, not be caught by the arisings, the thoughts. As I mentioned yesterday, the fearless master Jigmin Lingpa sang, the Dogs chase the bow and the lions jump on the thrower. So not just following and getting caught up and indulging in chains of discursive thinking, but looking at the looker, seeing through the seer, and being free. And as we're doing sky gazing, even closing our eyes and continuing to gaze into the infinite luminosity of awareness, how was that for you? It's not really about the sky or big in size. It's about spacious, inclusive clarity and oneness, if you insist on a word so limiting. Non-duality, non-dual awareness, as we put more in Buddhist lingo, rather than saying it's one, asserting oneness. It's not the two, inseparability, etc. Breathing out into the light, breathing in out of it, and equalizing self and other, other people, other things, 
meditator and objects and so on, and loosening up the distinction, becoming more permeable, inseparable, flowing, mutuality, reciprocity, not just I relating to it in the usual subject and object dualism of us and them, me and you, self, selfiness, and then there's the others, if we even notice others, that is. This clear light uh, practice is part, actually, of the six yogas of Naropa, the Osel Chempo practice that leads into Mahamudra directly, Tantra, Mahamudra, and Dzogchen. So perhaps it's of use to you, especially if you like to meditate with your eyes closed. You can still do sky gazing, space mingling, and be, be resolved in the infinite sea of seeing, of awareness, of being. The inherent freedom of being. And letting go and let Buddha do it through you. Letting go and let Buddha breathe through you. Or even better, just let breathing occur. Let go and let Buddha think through you. Or even better, just allow thinking to proceed unhindered in the bigger context of awareness. Let go and let Buddha feel through you. Or even better, just feeling. Just feeling could be healing. Not thinking about it. Just feeling, not straying into the arid desert of thinking about it, of labeling it, of name and form, as we say in Buddhism. Just hearing, nothing to listen to, and not no one hearing it. Just feeling, no names or labels or evaluation needed, and no one feeling it, just feeling. This moment, riding the crest of the wave of nowness, only moment, just feeling. Just a physical sensation before we even name it as pain or pleasure and start to judge it downstream as good or bad, liking and disliking, I want it and don't want it, and all the behavior that that drives, habitual conditioned behavior based on that first moment of dualism, of being victimized by that arising, that feeling, that sensation, inward reactivity. Karma means reactivity. Karma means conditioning. It's usually translated as cause and effect, but it really means reactivity. In Tibetan, the word is lay. People translate that as action. I, I would say it means reaction. And that's important to note because everything is karma in our world, in our conditioned situation. There's nothing else driving it. There's no one else pulling the strings upstairs, but you should check it out and see for yourself. Everything interconnected, impermanent, nothing separate because impermanent, changing, interconnected, interdependent. There's only this karmic causation, conditioning, reactivity. Awareness helps us hold the space or perspective where there's space between stimulus and response so we can choose how, when, and if to respond, not just blindly react according to our habitual reactivity, our habitual conditioning. This is the secret of mindful anger management, dealing with our inner difficulties or outer difficult people or situations or the unwanted diagnoses or the world crises. Because it's not what happens to us, but what we make of it that makes all the difference. That's the secret of self-mastery of autonomy within interdependence, of freedom. 
of autonomy within interdependence, not just a teenage idea of independence, but autonomy within interdependence, self-mastery, being master rather than victim of conditions and circumstances, including the inner weather of emotionality, reactivity, and so forth. So in our Dzogchen practice, based on the basic principles that we've gone over, and to save time, I'm not going to go over them all again about the three naturals of body, breath, and energy, and mind, or the three skies and gazing and all that, or view meditation and action, the ground path and fruit of the great perfection. But we talked about some of the principles of Dzogchen, like naturalness, spontaneity, flow, awareness, uh, perspicacity, or like uh, discernment, and so on. Notice there's nothing here that says concentration, loving kindness or compassion, praying for world peace. That's not in this Dzogchen, Dzogchen meditation of sky gazing. It's in the other practices, of course, that we do, supportive practices, beginning and ending of sessions, Mahayana Buddhism practices, etc. So now I want to talk about the specific Dzogchen practice that defines or, or shores up our awareness practice, our Rigpa practice called Rangsha Rangdrol in Tibetan, in English, by itself arising, by itself liberating. The inherent freedom of being, self-liberation with a hyphen, not, el not saying ego liberation, but by itself liberating, like an automatic door, automatic liberation, like the waves in the sea is one of the images. The waves arise and dissolve and liberate or free or resolve themselves into not wave, into back into the water, into trough, into whatever the next thing is. You with me? Or there's clouds in the sky. They resolve back into the, you know, the, the water element or whatever, the sky eventually. So we don't have to iron out the waves in this practice. Just enjoy the position of ocean itself. Let go and let Buddha wave, think, feel. Oh, oceanic bodhisattva mind, big mind. The waves are not disturbing the ocean. In fact, they're adornments. They're beautiful. They're, they're, they are the ocean's own natural Buddha activity, as conditions require. If no conditions requiring it, no waves, no problem. So Rangsha Rangdrol, by itself arising, by itself liberating. If you read Dzogchen books, it's a hyphenated word. They translate self-liberation. It's a little confusing. May need definition, so I'm defining it here. Not ego, self, being liberated. Things arising and dissolving by themselves. Like thoughts come and go. If we let them, if we don't seize on them, reify them, concretize them, and fight with them, which just solidifies them. Meditation is not about... What's happening, Christopher? Are we getting there? This kind of practice is not about thought swatting. Get the, swat those pesky thoughts, beat them down. Get the calm and clear. No, you don't hear me emphasizing that. Awareness of whatever arises is the view in meditation of Dzogchen. Not calming and clearing the mind, not pacifying the mind, not quieting the mind as you sometimes hear. This is not just a relaxation exercise. It's not just a concentration exercise. 
It's a panoramic awareness exercise that includes everything. Whatever arises, that is the object of attention. That's food for the naked, denuded awareness, to quote the Dzogchen master. That's all the grist for the mill of naked, denuded awareness. Denuded of extra accoutrements, strategies, goals, direction, aims. Everything arising is the fuel for the bonfire of this awareness. So this Rangshal Rangjal is an important point of Dzogchen practice. If you're familiar with the Tao, if you read the Tao Te Ching, which I recommend highly, and Stephen Mitchell's translation is among the best, the Tao, the flow, the Tao, the way, the Tao. The main concept in the Tao is Wu Wei, non-striving. That's the same concept. Not pushing the river. It doesn't mean doing nothing. Beyond action and beyond doing nothing, the sublime dharma is accomplished. Wu Wei, naturalness, non-striving. Sometimes it says non-action. It doesn't mean doing nothing. Wu Wei, in Tibetan Jadrel, free from action or free from, I guess you have to say effort. Free from pushing or pulling the river. As in Jatro Rinpoche's name, the 104-year-old Dzogchen master of Nepal with the big white beard, unique among Lama. He must be enlightened. He has a beard. Nobody else does of those Tibetan Mongolians. The master of Longchen Nintig, the great Tigli practice of longevity, of realizing the deathlessness. Somehow he's lived to be 104. And if you knew what his diet was, you would be even more surprised. So the view, nothing more to do, the meditation of getting used to that, the view as it is, seeing it as it is, as it is, the meditation of non-meditation, unmeditation, leaving it as it is, getting used to it, getting used to leaving it as it is. It's a non-improvement pact with yourself. Or put it more positively, don't bother your mind. Don't bother with your mind. This is not a mind-improving education here. Don't bother your thoughts and they won't bother you. How, how, how strong can I put this? Take off your head and shoot it, swish it into the garbage pail in the corner. Not that we're advocating lobotomization. That's contraindicated as well. But the middle way includes thinking and analysis, but it's a good servant, but a poor master with too much under its power most of the time. So here we don't need to think and analyze and, and deconstruct ego and think about all the different mental states and name and label everything that comes up. Oh, angry thought. Oh, desirous thought. Oh, boredom. That's a different meditation. That's called mental noting. That's very mental. It takes words, names, and forms. That's not the Dzogchen way. Our way is breathing out and letting it all go. And if you have those concepts and names and forms coming up, use the upward like glance or the right and left as the Dalai, fifth Dalai Lama taught, who was one of the great Tertans and Dzogchen masters, to break up your mental formations and come back to at ease to the hammock of, aware, of tr awareness with a capital A, 
not meditation, as one more activity like yoga that you have to do and learn and get good at. No. This is like playing basketball with a hoop bigger than the whole court. You can't miss. Just being, wu-wei. Natural flow. Naturalness is the way, as the Zen master says. That's a hell of a lot, actually, of authenticity. Not trying to put a Buddha's head on top of your own head and becoming monstrous, not to mention inauthentic through imitation. So the great haiku poet Basho of Japan, the Zen man Basho of the Banana Hut Basho famously said, I don't seek to imitate or step in the footprints of the masters of old. I seek what they sought. This is not about imitation. Just because the master limps doesn't mean all the followers have to limp, as in the old Indian parable. Limping is not the point. Become as much yourself as he or she is themselves, limp and all. That's the point. In Dzogchen, there's a few ways to deviate from the view. I've mentioned the four deviations classically taught in the Dzogchen text by the first Jamgen Kantro Rinpoche, The Light of Wisdom, Lama Myeshe Ningpo, for you students, scholars. The four deviations, it's so close that we overlook it. It's so transparent or obvious that we see right through it, we don't notice it. It seems too good to be true, we can't hardly believe it. You know, that Buddha is within or Buddha is us. Our nature is Buddha nature. The Godhead is in us, not just after we die, somewhere up in some heaven and so on. It seems too good to be true. And fourth, it's not outside ourselves, so we can't obtain it anew. You can read about this in Guru Rinpoche's book, probably in chapter 10, in Innermost Essence, about Dzogchen, in the book, Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by Sogyal Rinpoche. I myself have made a few, a list of a few deviations. How we deviate from the view in our Dzogchen meditation. as tips and pointers to look out for. Like waiting or hoping for anything to happen. <laughs> you don't want to fall into that shit. <clears throat> Com expectations and disappointments, as Trungpa famously said, who spoke British English well, no appointments, no disappointments, no expectations, no disappointments. Comparing, not comparing, not try remembering or trying to get back to that great meditation you had yesterday or five years ago or whatever it was, or that great experience of oneness that lasted a few days. Not competing. I mean, it's kind of obvious. Why don't you just put them all up there to save time? I want to get to the question period. And not judging and not hurrying and, of course, not reacting. I mean, God forbid anybody would react, me least of all. 
here's a, a good section, not controlling or dominating. Remember the principle of naturalness, flow, allowing, by itself arising, by itself liberating, thoughts, feelings, waves arising and liberating. So not interfering, not manipulating, not controlling, if you get the point. This is very important. It's different than concentrative meditation where you try to control your mind and focus your attention one point on something when the mind wanders, you, you control it and do, bring it back to that. This is different. This is about allowing, about cutting the kite string and letting it fly. There's a Mahamudra story, but in short, the point is, in Mahamudra meditation, you just let the pigeons go, all the thoughts, from the ship in the middle of the ocean. Because they have nowhere else to land but to return to where they started from. There's nowhere else to go. You can't lose your mind. Where would it go? Etc. There are no distractions. Distracted from what? In this practice, what we're talking about, Dzogchen meditation, non-meditation, not other practices, which admittedly have different view, meditation, and result. Conduct. Action. So not getting too elated when great things happen, you know, in your practice, and not getting too depressed if they don't. Just allowing happiness and sad and the usual oscillation of moods to proceed. No problem. Not getting depressed just because you're unhappy. Happiness and sadness is the natural oscillation of emotions. Depression is extra, is pathological, is a fixation. And manic elation also becomes a pathology. Being happy, being joyous is fine. But that too will pass. We all want, want to remember impermanence when the bad things are here, but what about when the good things are here? We forget this too will pass, and then we're disappointed when it does. Or we pour concrete on it and try to brick it up and keep it. William Blake, our great poet, sang, He who binds to himself a joy doth the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. That's what we're talking about. Of course, not fabricating, imagining, visualizing, putting things up, just dealing with it as it is, and so forth. So now we've covered all the material that I want to cover on view meditation this week. And tomorrow I'm going to talk about action, conduct, Buddha activity, the paramitas, and uh, integrating with daily life and how to practice when you leave, etc. So any questions, please? You can choose, just try to hit the people we haven't heard from yet. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, basic little thoughts, you know, thinking, oh, the last, last night's uh, curry was good, or when's the gong gonna ring? I'm dealing pretty well with that. But during uh, Lama Christopher's loving kindness practice, I got really pissed off my wife. Um, and, uh, what did Christopher say? <laughs> it wasn't him. Um, and, you know, for the next meditation, it was like 30 was it, minutes. Was it her? What did she say? Eh, it she was some stupid... There. 
What? She wasn't. The, I. I know. Go on. Uh, yeah. After I wrote a text to her, I realized it was my mind. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> that's why we don't call, have texting. Yes. We're not even allowed to talk. But I guess texting was done. The the taken yeah, sheet I, about I prohibited vows. But but the uh, yeah. It, it, I, I learned the hard way, shall we say? Um, so maybe she didn't get it. The receptions here is not very good. <laughs> Go on. So something that happened last week, and you know, so I'm really, it becomes this tangle. You know, it's not just a thought, the curry was good last night. Yeah. Um, and it stuck with me, you know, for a number of meditations. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know. You mean you, your thought about what she what yeah, happened just, last week became a tangle. Right, like feeding it, feeding it. of thinking, you got tangled up. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps, I mean, I, maybe the eye flicking would have helped. <laughs> maybe. Um, but we didn't learn that till today. Exactly. <laughs> But yesterday we had the hunging, and the day before we had the looking into who or what is experiencing, and you know we had other things too. So, of course, in the moment of getting caught by, you know, deceived and caught by the emotions or whatever, yeah. we forget those remedies. But that's the time for the remedy, also. So I was, I mean, the, the, just the, the, the what's coming to my mind is, you know, is there an like an extra strength letting go, you know, for those thoughts that just won't come out. You know, like a... <laughs> for those thoughts that won't come out. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's sort of... Guru canal ser surgery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it felt like when, you're, when your earbuds get tangled up. It's not, it doesn't take a few seconds. Yeah, it could no, take a whole afternoon. Keep, you, you just know? pull them harder and then they... <laughs> you know what happens. Yeah. No, I, I'm afraid that this is it. And all these different ones. This is this is the super strength, you know, whatever, cleaning powder if that's your metaphor. Although really, you know, we don't really think of it as remedies or cleaning way. Remember we're talking about allowing it to be as it is and seeing it more like Halloween costumes rather than we have to get everybody dressed in holy white clothes and, you know, Birkenstocks including our emotions or our wife or our whatever. But um, that's why I'm, I'm giving you little different tips and tricks, you know, to try to tune it up and catch, you know, see what, what should we say? What works for you, you know, what, what really um, does it for you? What turns the trick? What, which chiropractic adjustment, you know, brings you back into alignment? Of course, if you ask in general meditation teachers, Buddhist teachers, especially lamas, then we would all say that's a good time to pray and invoke blessings and guru yoga, you know, and then like have an upsurge of positive feeling or like devotion instead of like resentment and distraction. But that's not the Dzogchen approach of as it is, seeing it as it is. So if you hear what I'm saying, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't resort to that. If we're sitting there, I don't know, what did you say? How many sessions you spent going over and over again, you know, sort of perseverating about your wife's whatever she said or didn't say or should have done or didn't did do, you know, whatever. It, it, you're making up in your mind that you're, like, working, hammering on with that jackhammer. Yeah. You know. So, I think the out-breath is a great super um, cleanser. I don't know about you, but if I'm like caught up in my head or in my office or in my work and I go outside, that, that 
well, it surprises me how it almost always is like, ah, that's a good one. If you know what I'm saying, it doesn't mean the problem necessarily goes yes. away, but the parts of the problem that weren't as problematic as you thought might go away. And then there's more clarity about dealing with the few things that maybe need to be dealt with. So some people chant. Remember, this is not the Dzogchen approach of just as it is, but like the great Dzogchen master, Dujum Rinpoche, always used to say, this is Dujum Rinpoche speaking in the first person. When I am distracted, I chant the hundred-syllable purification mantra of Vajrasattva. That's what he used to say about himself. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The greatest Dzogchen master still had to resort to, um, you know, cleaning fluid, the purification mantra and all that. So why not us? So that's what we just chanted before. So all of these things are here and available for your toolkit. It just depends on you, like what does it for you? Maybe it's Tara and praying or, you know, some other way of, or the breathing exercises that gets you out of your rut or your head or that knot, you know, that tape loop about the wife, the wife, whatever she said, she, he said. Blah, blah, blah. A Sufi teacher named Oscar Achazo from Chile used to call it chitching, like having a lot of cicadas in your head. You know, when you find yourself chitching, you, you do something to come back to, like, let's call it sanity or clarity or peace. Because that's just chitching. You're not working anything out. Mm. In some other situation, you might very well need to work out a tangled situation and think it through and, you know, and ready, then aim, then fire on it. But the chitching is just like pulling on the knot of your earbuds or your shoelace and it just gets tighter. It never gets untied that way. Mm. So I hope that's helpful. Very helpful. Thank you. Hi, in the back row there, music, music girl. I've been appreciating you. You're the rhythm <laughs> section. Um, she came prepared. She brought a rattle. Can you hold it up for the chanting? Actually, this is a funny story because this is an international rattle. I bought it in South Korea in an African museum. <laughs> that's, a, that's some good tantric mojo for our Tibetan Buddhist practice here. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I had a, the experience a couple of days ago of um, hmm, kind of a flash when you said uh, no ownership, that there was no ownership during the um, awareness practice. And um, this all feels like ownership to me, this, these 20 deviations from the view. Um, but after I had the flash, it was like, it was great, but then I was a little bit sad, like that I couldn't own it. Like owning it is some way to get relief from difficulties in life or to let's not feel confuse, better. Let's not um, confuse our lingo. Okay. 
I'm not talking about what we say today. You, you have to own it, which means be, take responsibility for it. Like, it's not somebody else's. What I'm talking about is anatta. I'm translating anatta. No self or no governor, no owner. Right. That, that was the experience I had. Like, if you have a thought or a physical sensation, is it really yours? You're producing it on purpose? Mm -hmm. And you, you, know, you know how long you can keep it, and you, know, you tell it when it should go? Not really. This is Buddhist thinking. So I'm translating that instead of saying no self all the time as no owner, no governor, just watching selfless, mm -hmm. impermanent phenomena roll on. This doesn't mean you don't own your whatever reactions right. or your feelings. That's a different kind of lingo. Well, I think the experience... No owner means there's no separate governor running the show. Like, owner sounds good, but really? Yeah. Like, you really own your body? You produced it? Right. You're really in charge of what happens with it now and how long it lives and what happens later? Not really. Yet, of course, we have to take responsibility for our body and, you know, not necessarily everybody else's body or that might be possible, but, you know, what I'm saying. Well, I think what happened for me was there was a profound release of grasping. That's the point. We're good. So don't grasp at this or let this okay. grasp you. It takes okay. two to tangle, you know? Okay. The okay. hooks and the Velcro. Just because okay. there are hooks doesn't mean we have to, you know, get Velcroed. We don't have to provide the rings. Okay. Just because there's bait, we don't have to buy it hook, line, and sinker. And you're pulled out of our element, get hooked like a fish. Okay. Just because we smell the bait, just because we're attracted or, for that matter, averse to this, the sensual stimuli at any of the six doors, doesn't mean we have to bite, you know, bite and swallow hook, line, and sinker and be pulled off our Buddha seat. Okay. We can smell it, we can hear it, we can feel it, we can nose around it. If we're, you know, risk takers, you can nibble at it, but it doesn't mean we have to bite it, swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> Okay. And be pulled off our Buddha seat, out of our element, like a fish to their death. Okay, thank you. That's why in the autobiography of the primordial Buddha, he slash she says, from beginningless time I have never uh, reached out, therefore not fallen off of Rikpa's throne or Buddha seat. Meaning not going for the bait, just because we're here see, feel, smell, touch things that we like or don't like, not being deceived. So that's the point of Dzogchen view. That doesn't mean you don't do anything either. Primordial Buddhist is, you know, kind of display, you know, it's a very, like, if there's light rays, then there's radiant colors get displayed. It's not inert. It's like more like a crystal than just a blank glass. Anyway, if you don't like that, just, you know, just pretend Christopher didn't inflict it on us. <laughs> mean old Christopher. <laughs> mean old Christopher. His wife is mad at Christopher. You're like, you know, whatever you said. <laughs> Christopher just likes his boy toys, you know. You should see his Batmobile that he has at home in Southern California. Questions, please. Don't save it till the end of the week, it's here.
Grab the mic. Good morning, Sergey Das. Good morning. <clears throat> this, in this morning's practice, um, I had a question that kept occurring over and over um, that I've had a little bit before, but it was really pronounced today. Um, in the practice, I'm experiencing awareing. I'm experiencing letting come and letting go. I'm experiencing some flow. And then I keep getting stuck and having this overwhelming curiosity about seeing through. And I'm wondering if there's some benefit to having more or less of that curiosity during the practice. Um, curiosity is a good uh, question. Notice we haven't talked about that much. I may have mentioned it earlier on when I was talking about mindfulness includes sort of friendliness, openness, almost like a curiosity, you know. But it's really more, this practice is more about like innocence. Like you could say children or infants are curious, but that's a little bit of our projection. It's more like everything is new and they're just like responding to that, right? They're not like curious or not curious. It's like a sponge isn't really curious, it just is absorbing at that stage. I don't know if this is the best metaphor. So in this, the as it is, we're not really that curious, but we're sort of, that's why I use some other words that I try to, you know, cobble up, like perspicacious, you know, or discerning, or like attentive, or sensitive, or permeable, if you see what I'm saying. So permeable is like a little different than open, isn't it? It overlaps, but you know, you're just trying to get a sense so you, get, so you can feel your way into the experience. So we're not just sitting there dazed and like, uh, don't give a shit. We're, it's, you know, we're seekers, we are true seekers, so curiosity may be a part of it, but you know, not overly curious, so the curiosity killed the cat, you know, like too much could also be too much. So seekers could have to leave room to be finders where you don't have to have a question, be questioning all the time because you have a feeling of arrived, or being there while getting there, you're content where you are. You don't have to know everything and imagine everything about the goal. So I hope we're communicating. So I curiosity is a part of investigation or questioning or seeking. In Buddha's recipe for enlightenment, the seven factors of enlightenment, mindfulness is one, but there are others like balance, flexibility, and one of them is investigation. So curiosity fits in with the gradual path of enlightenment and being a truth seeker, of course. Therefore, questioning, doubt, you know, et cetera, is very important. But in this, interest, but not necessarily scientific curiosity, which could seem very discursive or like goal-oriented, mm. if you know what I'm saying. I hope we're communicating. You asked a subtle question. Yes, I think I didn't ask that clearly enough. The curiosity is in particular about your term I've used, you, you use seeing through. I'm, see. I'm not seeing through anything as far as I can tell. Really? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm Well, that's why that. I keep using the Tibetan term trekjud and explaining through cluster definition that it means cutting through, seeing through, being through. You know, it's not just seeing through. There's nothing to see through except everything. So what we're talking about is, is seeing through mere appearances, like, I don't know, what, what would be an example? 
the guy in front of you moves and you feel, don't, you know, you have your reaction. Let's make it up. You don't like it. You wish you would stop moving. So that's the moment to see through that reaction and see that's fine, but that's your, just your conditioning, you know, really. What does it mean? What does it have to do with him? I think I was over-interpreting see-through. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Be through, not be deceived by the appearance of, also see through yourself, like not think I am here and I am meditating on the sky and the sky is over there. I mean, is the mm-hmm. sky really over there? I mean, where does the sky end? Mm-hmm. That's very comforting. Well, okay. And thank you for um, <laughs> mentioning the Tao again. Um, the translation I have, um, he calls it do nothing doing. Yeah, that's, that's a good attempt. Very good. What translation do you favor since you seem to be studying the Tao Te Ching? I've been reading one version for my adult life. It's uh, Harriman Maurer. He was an old teacher of mine who's passed away long ago. Well, I'm not familiar with his work. That sounds good. If you want to point me to it, that would be great. I recommend Stephen Mitchell's because it's easy to remember his name and spell it. And his, mm-hmm. his, his translation is like that. <laughs> Thank you. I will. If we were going to get more into seeing through and treachery and cutting through, literally means cutting through like dualism or concepts or names and forms, you know, cutting through solidity, fixation, attachment, but it really means seeing through, because we're not like chopping and cutting, and it really means being through, as in the Trek trip, right? Just being through, being through whatever arises. That's why I call it the seeing or being through, not cutting and chopping so much. We're talking about Trek trip and that sky gazing, and really we're talking about openness and awareness. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask. This is probably pretty simple. Go ahead. Um, in the sky gazing, I guess I feel that I'm feeling the emptiness or the nothingness and how vast it is. But I don't understand where the, the emptiness and the rigpa, what their relationship is and how they're connected and what the two of those to get. Are they supposed to be something that happens together? Um, what's the connection? <laughs> I don't really want to go into the whole you know, theory of emptiness and rigpa and all that. It's so complicated. That's why I keep talking about you know, awareness and open and lucid and spacious, just synonyms so we don't get stuck on one like emptiness. Is emptiness really the question? Or rigpa? No. Or oh, what? Mind or openness or... I guess awareness. those together, I mean, maybe, like I said, uh, Rupa being the primordial pureness or the mind, with that coming in, is that, and, and I'm probably overthinking it and not keeping it simple, but it's just understanding the emptiness and where the Rigpa or the uh, primordial, how they fit together, so. Rigpa has two facets or sides, the empty open, void, infinite, spacious, transparent side. That's why I don't want to just say empty, like a vacuum chamber. No. You know, like empty, open, like the womb of emptiness. It's a fertile womb of emptiness. 
which is the mother of all the Buddhas, because it's the space, it's, the, you know, fertile, creative, and it's lucid or cognizant, it's like knowingness side, the awareness side. Those are the two facets or okay. sides of the blade of Rigpa, let's say. Okay. So it's not that emptiness is a thing, but it's that Rigpa is not a thing, it's empty of thingness, but it's not just empty like an empty room. It's uh, my own master, Arjun Rinpoche, used to say, it's like a sunlit room. So like I said, it's more like a crystal that has capacity and can radiate rainbow lights if there's reason, if there's lights that come to, into it. But your glass can't do, a glass is just transparent, or a window is transparent, but a crystal has more qualities. So Rigpa's qualities include lucid, luminous, like cognizance, knowingness, awareness. Notice I'm not saying mindfulness, consciousness is subtler than that. So I hope that's helpful. So from the point of view of practice, we just try to, you know, release and be open and aware at the same time. That's what we're talking about. Thank you. Not empty out our head or have no thoughts. Of course, when it's time to relax, emptying your head's a good thing to do. But then you do relaxation exercises and breathing or exercise and then, you know, with a corpse pose at the end of yoga session. That's for relaxing. This is a little different. This is like a dynamic awareness. What was his translation? The doing of non-doing. So relaxed yet dynamically present non-meditation. I hope that's helpful. And emptiness is a huge subject of Madhyamika philosophy, the main Mahayana philosophy of shunyata. Shunyata is translated very weakly as emptiness. It means the empty effulgence. It means the plenum void. It's overflowing, the shunyata. Questions? Like it's empty of the concepts that we lay on it. That's what it means of emptiness. Things are not what they seem to be. Everything is subjective. These are all meanings of shunyata, which we end up with emptiness. Where is subjectivity in the word emptiness? It's, it's not really there. It's not a good translation, but it's what we got in one word. You see, he has three words for wu-wei. We end up with what, whatever his translation is that his teacher does, which is good. The doing of non-doing, but that's like a lot more than in Chinese wu-wei. It's one word. Freedom from action in Tibetan, Jatral. Anyway, questions, please. Who has the mic? Yes. I do. Hi. Um, Lori. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just had this thought. I meditated for about five years with my eyes closed. And while I was doing the meditation today, um, I'm getting used to meditating with my eyes open. And I was wondering if there's any connection, I thought of a Sri Yantra mm -hmm. meditation where you're focusing on the spot in the middle, but your awareness is getting greater and expanding. Yes, is something it like that. Similar. The Sri Yantra, can you draw this on the board? Is a Jewish star with a point in the middle? It's a mandala, 
So that's what we're calling like the big circle, the ultimate. Of course, it's a three-dimensional model and not just a flat thing that we draw on a, on a board. Right. So when we meditate on mandalas, we enter into like a three-dimensionality where like a holograph or a hologram where the whole is in each part. And that's the image of Sri Yantra, of Shiva and Shakti, inseparable of masculine and feminine or yin and yang, inseparable. So that's what we call the great tiggly or the big circle, like the ultimate sphere, which doesn't really mean round, but it's a good word for this, the ultimate dimension, all-inclusive. So if you like and you can go into that, you know, like focus on that instead of around, I think you get the whole picture <laughs> because like implied in this is the sphere, is the circle, is the whole, right? Mm -hmm. Not a flat thing, not three, not six, not seven. I mean, here's the seven chakras. There's a lot of things here hidden in this, coded in this ancient symbol. So why is it called Sri Yantra? Tell us, do you know? What's the Sri mean? And like, what, what are we talking about? Blessed. Yeah. So this is like the blessed mandala or holy divine mandala of the ascending, the masculine energy, and the descending, the female energy, or, or heaven and earth in Chinese thing, or or Shiva and Shakti, inseparable, Mr. and Mrs. God. You see the triangle, the three pyramids. If you think of them as pyramids, the sacred pyramid, the holy three, the trinity, anybody hear of that? Trinity, the holy three, inseparable, the yin and the yang of the holy pyramids, Shiva and Shakti, Yabyum in Tibetan visualization. But the center, the point in the middle, which unifies them all, which is really the circle all around it, not just a little point. Yeah. That's why it's the divine image or, or yantra, mandala. So, of course, if you, it's a good meditation object and it's a way of entering into that dimension of hologram rather than being like a separate little, a little cog in this big machine way of thinking. Yeah, one of what happened is it removed this sense of that I was looking at something, rather I was instead a part of everything. Like, I think you sh she should get a gong for that, don't you think? <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. I don't know. So that's a good way, portal for you to the, yeah. what, what you just said. Not separate from everything. No need to discuss other foreign words and concepts to the space, not separate from everythingness. Yeah, the looking or the, the seeing was, it, it, it kind of disappeared. Thank you. Thank you. Very good, gratifying to hear about. <laughs>